Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. You know what Christy Mathewson wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio. We're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christianta, over there. Across from me, as you cannot see on YouTube, unfortunately, is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing really well today. Surprisingly well, considering this is the first show uh, post-mortem for our favorite team. But um, uh, we, got a lot to, we got a lot to talk about today. We got a really special interview that's going to be awesome. Yes, yes. Uh, we had uh, Mark Simon, who... Uh, worked for ESPN Stats and Info for 16 years. Uh, mm-hmm. I know in his Twitter bio, it's 2002 to 2018. Uh, now working with Sports Info Solutions and was one of the contributors to Defensive Run Saved, which is was one of the culprits of uh, us just as a as a as the as a baseball world not identify not a uh, going going further than fielding percentage in the eye test for yeah. fielders, um, which was you know it was. F- absolutely fascinating to talk to him about uh the evolution of of how it's created and explaining what defensive run saved uh does and like how it how it's created it was i I have much more respect for the stat uh now than i did before the interview a hundred percent like i like it's kind of become like i feel like a lot of people see it as like maybe second fielder to OAA just because it's StatCast and StatCast has just been growing in popularity. It my mind's, it's been my mindset. Yeah, mostly. but like DRS is very much very similar in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It tracks a lot of things that can only be tracked there. And it's like I'm it's going to be referenced by me on this show a lot more now. Uh, yeah, for me as well, for sure. Um, it definitely having, having that perspective is uh, is definitely going to is definitely enlightened the both of us and we will be getting to that interview uh when uh, after we recap the league championship series uh which both ended and uh yeah we're supposed to end by the time this episode came out um and uh your uh how you saw things ended up happening uh i i still was expecting the red sox to win both games didn't happen they didn't win any games and uh, we are seeing the Braves and the Astros in the World Series. We absolutely are. Braves, Astros, um, it is – there's a lot of ways you can look at it. It is – I think the best way of looking at it, as I've said numerous times on the show, you're getting – one of Ron Washington or Dusty Baker is getting a ring. And yes. I'm going to be really happy for whoever it is because both of them are deserving. They've been in the game a long time. They've come up short. Obviously, Ron Washington twice. Uh, Ron Washington was two strikes away twice. Dusty Baker was a few outs away in two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, like yeah, obviously very very close both times. And um, you know, D- uh, Dusty Baker. I mean, you know, watching watching after the LCS, you know, it's hard to uh, hard to comprehend a, a 
when your when your team season has just ended in a in a poor fashion like that, you know, not winning the last game of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, seeing Dusty, uh, I think you know there were some there was some there was like a feature on him before the game that I watched in the pregame, and you know he was being interviewed after, and it's it's just hard not to be happy for him. Yeah, like this is a guy. Dusty's a guy who put himself in the middle of a fire when he took that job. Yeah, like he knew that. Even if he had no involvement in anything that happened in 2017, like he was going to have a target on his back just because of the guys he was managing. Like he took a job where he was going to be like a lot of people probably lost some respect for him for taking that job. Um, and you know what? He carried himself very well. He was the most apologetic of anyone, which is probably the funniest thing because like he didn't do anything. Right. Like he was he was managing a different team that yeah. year <laughs> exactly. in, a, in a completely different league. Right. Yeah. They didn't even. Yeah. No interaction between. Did they? Uh, did the Nationals and Astros face each other that year? I think they might have. Uh, there's potential. There's. I'm like, pretty sure the Nationals and Astros. Dusty Baker probably got cheated against by the 2017 <laughs> Astros, and he was apologizing on their behalf in spring of 2020. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, there's like a one in three chance uh, that it happened, given how uh, how interleague play plays out. I'm pretty sure it did. Um. Yeah, I'm going to their schedule real quick because I'm actually pretty sure that's how the the schedule worked that year. Right. But Yeah, they did. The, the Nationals <laughs> beat them two games to one. They only played them three times that year, but yeah, they was played it, Where was it? It was um no no no, it was It was at Houston. <laughs> it was at Houston. <laughs> they literally <laughs> The Nationals won the series in Houston. Um Dusty Baker Hundred percent. It was in August of that year. Yeah, August twenty second through twenty fourth. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, Dusty Baker was a victim of his own team. <laughs> yeah, and in he the was future, apo- he was apologizing for them. I'm sorry that we that this team that also did this against my team was doing this. Right, right. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, but going yeah, going back to yeah, how Baker is like he's he's a lifer. But he doesn't have any of the negative qualities of a lifer. Yeah, exactly. Like he's like when people when Dusty Baker got hired, a lot of people were like, "Oh, like they're going old school," which I guess they kind of had to. Like they had to have a much different change of pace from AJ Hinch. But it's like yeah. Dusty's not old school. Like he will, like he has you know imber- immersed himself in the analytics, and he's also just a cool dude. Yeah. Like yeah. there was a video, I think it was after they won. A, it was either when they won the division or where they won the. ALDS against the White Sox. He was like drinking champagne out of his his shoe or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he's like a seventy something year old man. Yeah, he, he's he's like the cool grandfather figure of the group. Yeah, he see he seems very down to earth. Whenever there's a controversy in, um, you know, like the unwritten rules and stuff, you're never he's never one of the voices that's uh standing standing up against uh the new uh the new way of going about things, which is um refreshing because there's another there's another manager of similar age mm-hmm. uh who we've complained about uh multiple times uh in that in that realm some of one of whom probably saw Dusty Baker very recently yes yes um but yeah it is cool to see the uh Washington versus Baker uh a matchup happening yeah um let's talk about Ron Washington for a little bit while we're here actually because that's a guy who like we mentioned, he's been to two World Series. He was two. He was one strike away twice. He's also gone through a lot in his personal life. 
Uh, in March of 2010, he, um, he admitted to failing a drug test, and he, he talked about, or he like admitted to like having an addiction, which took him away from the team for a little bit. But um, like that's a guy who's gone through a lot. That's a guy who deserves a ring, whether it's yeah. as a player, a manager, a base coach. Like you can't not be happy to see that guy get a ring if he gets it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. Um, well put. Uh, just yeah, he he's a lifer as well. Uh, and like yeah, like Baker, you never see him on the wrong side of any baseball issues. Mm-hmm. Um, which is uh, you know, something something that other makes than, him easy to root yeah, for. Other than that, obviously, but that's very different from right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not in terms of you know what some stuff that we complain about more Mm -hmm. um you know that that thing with him is a was a personal thing that he was able to uh get through um but yeah i mean uh the the games at hand the uh i guess chronologically speaking we start i I guess we could just go uh there's only three games to cover so we'll start we'll just with just uh thursday night um where you know this is where we thought the the series would end uh, this is where we thought the Braves had the best chance of ending the series with Max Fried on the mound, and uh, it it didn't end up it didn't end up happening that way. Um, the it was the Chris Taylor game, and it's easy to forget that now. But I mean, guy had what was your uh, you, uh, you had a oh, great is, stat. I did have a great you stat. A great so Chris stat. Taylor became the second player in postseason history with four plus hits, three plus home runs, and six plus RBI in a game. The other person to do that was literally right ahead of him in the lineup. The the very batter before. Pujols. It was Albert Pujols. It was almost 10 years to the day. He did it on October 21st. Pujols did it on the 22nd of 2011. My God. It was literally almost 10 years to the day. It was almost, it was almost perfect. Yeah. But we were, we were on the verge of greatness. Yeah. Like that's, that's like get a lottery ticket type type stuff there. Um, yeah, Unbelievable performance by Chris Taylor, um, Max Fried, uh, for the first you know for the first time in probably over a month just uh, did not have his best stuff. Um, he's had he's been having his best stuff for um, you know probably like forty consecutive innings and uh, didn't have it uh, with the uh, Dodgers pitching. They had what do they have? They had a bullpen. Another bullpen. They had a bullpen game. game yeah. Ended up working out this time. The Dodgers bullpen games actually were not that bad. Yeah, they weren't. Like every single time, they I don't I don't remember exactly if they won every game, but like they did, they they were put in a position to win every game. I know that for a fact. Yeah, they. Because uh, there was the game five. Game in, one, uh, they they only allowed three runs. Yeah, game one they allowed three runs. So scrap my uh, actually comment there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like it kind of it kind of went exactly how it yeah. had previously. <laughs> a lot of people a lot of people were upset about that. A lot of people were upset about starting pitching just not be it's seeming, seemingly becoming obsolete. Uh but you know what? It worked for the it worked for the team with the most talent and the highest payroll. Yeah. Because it did. It's crazy. It's crazy. We'll get into this later, but it's so crazy the Dodgers with this talent didn't make the World Series. Right. Like I know that Serger obviously had to uh, he wasn't able to start that game. Like he, he basically gave everything he had. He said his arm, he had nothing left in his arm at the end of game two. Um, which I mean, we can get into that later, but that's probably gonna. I wonder what that's going to look like heading into his free agency. Right. Like, is he gonna be on an innings limit? Is he gonna? 
yeah be on a, a like a strict pitch count especially if he's acquired by a team that has postseason aspirations yeah exactly um and actually going back to the bullpen thing i just did the math in my head the two games in that series where the dodgers allowed the least amount of runs were the bullpen games were the bullpen games wow they allowed three runs and two runs <laughs> and then in game yeah game two they allowed uh what five yeah, yeah they lost five four game uh Game three, they allowed, they allowed five. five. Game four, they allowed nine. And game six, they, they allowed four. four. Yeah. So that's that's well, pretty The bullpen funny. games were literally the Dodgers' most efficient. See, not, not when Max Serger started, not when Walker Bueller started, not when Julio Arias started. Yeah. No, when the bullpen started. Yeah, and, you know, we, we criticized uh, Dave Roberts a little bit, but reflecting back on it, I think the only problem I really had with his management was, like, kind of over – kind of what he how he utilized Arias. That's exactly that, yeah. But outside of that, he did another pretty good job. At, you know, with as reflecting back on the bullpen games, they worked out perfectly. Yeah, I mean Arias like he gave up, he blew the one game in relief in game 2, and then he gave up three home runs in was it game 4? Yeah. 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 Um that's how it went down. Mm-hmm. And like uh with Roberts in uh in game 5 of the NLDS if you want to go back to that, uh, where he started Knable, the 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 team only allowed one run. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he did a he did a pretty he did a good job. Um, but uh, back to the winners with the Braves. Um, I feel like we we're not talking about Brian Snicker a lot. Maybe that's maybe that's uh, not fair to him because I mean, he hasn't been you know he hasn't been like revolutionary of by any sense but you don't necessarily have to be yeah he's just there's not a move he's made where i've really been like uh, there's not a lot of head scratchers no there haven't been but also the bullpen as a whole like you know they've stepped it up a notch and like i mean you can really chalk that up to just him making the right moves putting the right guys in i mean tyler Motzik, crazy crazy um like the only guy that really like was a problem for the man with the bullpen was Luke Jackson. And like, that's a, like, you still don't necessarily blame Snicker for bringing him in. He had a one nine eight ERA in the regular yeah. season. Like he just wasn't able to get it done. And you no, know, it's not to, not to say he can't do it at all. Just you're not going to win every day. Yeah. And his, and his bad performances, he, he, uh, started the inning and he only faced, uh, four batters and three batters. So yeah, like he o- only one more than the minimum, uh, once in total. Yeah. Um, just got him out of there quickly and uh made the right move getting him out of there. But yeah, I mean the the when your bullpen performs like it did, it makes the manager look a lot better, as you say. Um it just uh it just does. Uh oh. but let yeah, actually someone who was interviewed after the conclusion of game six was uh Tyler Matzek, although We'll we'll get we'll get into him as we get more into Game Six. Um, we kind of went on a tangent there. So the Dodgers have an offensive explosion uh, in Game Five, the same way the Braves did in Game Four. Uh, what what was your mindset about you know the Dodgers' chances? Because we didn't get a chance to record in between games, obviously. Mm-hmm. What was your mindset on like the Dodgers and Braves' chances as the Dodgers had to get two in uh, in Atlanta? I mean, I just thought about last year. Like, Same. I absolutely knew that the chance was there. You know, I still think there's reason to believe that the Dodgers were the more talented team. Uh, the Braves just, they got it. Like, I think there's, I don't think it's an outrageous thing to say. I really don't. Um, uh, 
what was it? That the Dodgers were the more talented team. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No um, obviously the you know the Braves are just the team that got it done, and that's that's the team that wins. Like it is that that's what it is about. Right. Exactly. Um, you know they they were just better at scoring more runs. Yeah. Uh, which is. And they got them when they need them. I mean Eddie Rosario just carried the entire series. Yeah. He slashed in six games. He slashed 474, 524, 789, 1313. Um, had 14 hits, which is the, which is tied for the most in a single postseason series. Yeah, 14, 14 hits. Yeah. Wow. 14 hit, and in, and he did it in six games. He didn't do it in seven. Right. I think everyone else who had 14 did it in seven. He did it in six. Uh, Kevin Euclid did it. Once, Kevin Euclid right? did it. I, that was what 2007 ALCS. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And that was a seven-game series. That's pretty wild. And I wouldn't expect that when he's hitting in the 400s. I would expect I'd expect someone to be hitting in like the 600s with that. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, like more than two hits a game, that is uh that's rather insane. Um, so yeah, the Braves uh the Braves lost Game Five. They head into Truist Park. They got Ian Anderson on the mound uh, versus. Walker Bueller, who yeah, Max Scherzer, apparently had a uh, shoulder fatigue, which uh, you know not the best sign, but just means like probably probably has worked a lot uh, over mm-hmm. over the season. Also, he's thirty seven right now. Um, to go along with that, not this you know it's not necessarily the same body he had uh, in his absolute prime, even though you could argue he's in his prime right now. Um, so you have Walker Bueller on short rest, um, and uh, it's pretty tight as we head into the fourth inning. Uh, Anderson gets through four innings, allowing one run. Eventually, he is pinch hit for. Uh, I should get. I should get the. Uh, I should get the log of plays. I'm very confused right now. How did, how did Tyler Matzik get the win in this game? Uh, in the it in says game six. Yes, i like. I feel like I'm just like. I'm missing something obvious right here. I probably am, but like the Dodgers were up or the Braves were up in the fourth inning. They never like the Dodgers never tied it or got the lead back. Tyler Matza came in in the seventh, got that huge hold, and he got the win. Um, I have no, I have no idea. Shouldn't that be? It should be AJ Minter's win if my if I'm correct. Right. Exactly. How did like MLB.com and Baseball Reference both have that as Tyler Matzik getting the win? Is there something I'm missing here? Um, I don't know. Not maybe. not that reliever wins matter, but like, what? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But going back to the bottom of the fourth, uh, it was uh near the bottom of the order, where uh bottom of the fourth, the Indian starts with Jock Peterson striking out swinging, uh, and then Dan Dansby Swanson gets a gets a fly out. Two quick outs for Walker Buehler, who's looking pretty good at the time. Then uh, Travis Darnold uh, battles out for a walk on a full count. And then after that, Brian Snicker decides it decides to call it a day for Ian Anderson. And he uh, pinch hits... Shout out Upstate New York. Pinch hits Ahire Adrianza, who gets himself a double. And now there's two men in scoring position. For the guy you least want to have up, but you have Freddie Freeman on deck, who's like also. Remember when Freddie Freeman wasn't hitting well this series? Oh yeah, 
Good times, right? Fun times. Fun narratives. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Rosario up second and third. Uh, he's down one, two in the count. Bueller throws a cutter uh, that's not as inside as he wants it to be. Uh, Ed- Eddie Rosario uh, scorches it. I should look up the exit velocity on this particular home run because uh, this was a this was what you would call a line drive home run. And uh, yeah, he scorches it. Eddie Rosario's exit velocity as it loads up on Statcast here. Um, he scorches one 104.9 miles per hour uh, for a 361 foot projected distance and an 870 expected batting average, which was a barrel over the right field fence for a three run home run to make it four to one. Yeah. And into the chop house. And, uh, it, it seemed like this is, this is kind of, this is the Braves game. This is, it's definitely their game to lose. Yep. Um, and, uh, we, we keep on going. Minter gets up and moving. He gets two scoreless innings, uh, two pretty big scoreless innings where he gets four strikeouts, uh, no, no base runners allowed. He's been doing very well over the, over the past couple months. Uh, the only scare from the Dodgers offense, um, late in the game was, as you mentioned, Luke Jackson had a, had a tough, had a tough, uh, postseason or had a tough series or some tough moments in the series. Uh, Chris Taylor coming off his crazy game in game five, uh, double the left field. Cody Bellinger walks, uh, on four pitches nonetheless. And after that, AJ Pollock, uh, doubles to left field and drive, or, or, um, yeah, drives in Taylor and it's now second and third and it's a four to two ball game. And, uh, Snicker takes Jackson out. And it's Tyler Motzek time with second and third, nobody out. And uh, we have no idea what's going to happen here. Yeah, and then Motzek comes in. He gets Albert Pujols to strike out swinging, Steven Souza to strike out looking. Then he gets Mookie Betts on three pitches, three fastballs. Three all by him. straight fastballs. Yeah, and he blew them all by him. And they were all in the strike zone too. Yeah. Like crazy. He didn't get him to chase. He didn't get him to chase. The Braves win probability – Went from 58% after the A.J. Pollock double to 88% after the strikeout. Like a dramatic change in three batters. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to come back from that. Yeah. And then, he, and then he came in and pitched the eighth and got Corey Seager to strike out. Then he got Trey Turner and Will Smith to ground out. Yeah, unreal. They were, unreal. The, the Dodgers did not have a base runner after the A.J. Pollock double. Uh, Yeah, they did not. And that was the tying run on second, too. Yeah, tying run on second, like... It, at that point, I was like, "Well, you're uh, assuming tie game, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is gonna be, this is gonna happen. We're gonna have a, a sick, like, extra inning game here." Mm-hmm. But no, uh, Tyler Matzek, by the way, uh, in the series, six innings, two earned runs, eleven strikeouts, two walks. <laughs> uh, in that game, he had an eight percent championship win probability added. Yeah, that's a lot. That that's is a lot, lot, by the way. Yeah. Um, which like obviously it's in a clinching game, so that is gonna play a large factor in that. But that is a lot. Yeah, he played. I mean, he he did ex- like he he was perfect in that yep. in that yep. in that game six. Exactly. Like out of all the guys, he just comes up and throws three straight fastballs by Mookie Betts. Wild. Uh, really, truly unbelievable. So 
that just kind of showed us like, up oh, this is probably brave series. And uh, they ride it out and they win the game and they yeah. win the series. First time since 1999. First time in our lifetimes. Yeah. Uh, the NL East is the first division to have all five teams go to the World Series in the 21st century. Ah, congratulations to the National League East. Yeah, they did it. All five teams have As made it. They work together. <laughs> Teamwork. Yeah, that's why the Mets crumbled in August. They were like, we got to get the Braves to this World Series <laughs> finally. Yeah, can we talk about the fact that the Braves, like we had a segment on this show where we talked about if the Braves championship window had been closed after Acuna got hurt. And we were convincing ourselves, yes. Well, yeah, we were, no, we were like selling ourselves, yes. Like it's, yeah, like that's it. Yeah, uh, we were like, well, you know, Freeman, he might walk, and you never, you don't know what this staff is going to be. Because at that time, Max Fried had a four seven one ERA too. Yeah, and we were like, well, Ian Anderson was hurt. Well, I guess you know, Fried had his fluky twenty twenty, and <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, never mind. He's going to just have like a one seventy ERA for the rest of the year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we're all good here in Atlanta. Um, yeah, it's a it's a pretty crazy ride uh, a, as they a- were below five hundred. As late as like August, yeah. As late as they August. they went through that purgatory where they won and lost a game, uh, for like seventeen straight games or something like that. <laughs> they did. Yeah, it was in like late July, early August. They would win, then lose, then win, then lose, and it literally they didn't have any streaks. Right. Yeah. If you look at uh, you know how Baseball Reference has the uh, streak thing, um, as we go into, yeah, it's it's just one plus or one minus and. Yeah, if for the for those who aren't on baseball reference as much, uh, if you go to a team's schedule and they and you look at streak, uh, if you're on a five game winning streak, it's five pluses on the side. If you're on a five game losing streak, it's five minuses. But it's just one plus one minus one plus one minus for a long time, as you as you uh, as you mentioned, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, 12, 13 yeah. games. <laughs> 13 games in a row that they just couldn't do both. Yeah, so they were... They 50, couldn't get a streak going. They were 52 and 55 on August 1st, and now they're in the World Series. Yeah, they. I'm pretty sure they had the best record in the league from August 1st on, and, I mean, they got four different outfielders at the trade deadline, each of, the, each of which have, have been hu- huge this postseason. I think... Uh, I think actually, like the Dodgers and Giants might have outdid them, which is crazy to think about. From July thirty first on, because um, I I remember I factored, I factored their record in yeah, with the right. Brewers you're series, right. um, and yeah, they just th- barely did. So did St. Louis, but still, I mean, they went thirty six and nineteen in the last two months of the season. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's something we had to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they uh, they did it. They beat the Dodgers. <laughs> Uh, crazy that this was the year they did it uh, with the talent on the Dodgers side. Um, I mean, I guess the Dodgers were. We I, I've I preached a little bit that the Dodgers did have do have like a more talented roster than they did last year. However, they're missing some pieces with the injury list that they. Well, so are the Braves. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. yeah like yeah. Every, when you go through every person that was absent from the Dodgers, you can make a comparison of the Braves. It's like, well, they lost Trevor Bauer, but the Braves lost Marcelo Zuna. They lost Max Muncy, but the Braves lost Acuna. They yeah. lost, yeah. Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw, Mike Soroka. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, Justin what? Turner, Jorge Soler. Right. Like, Soler was there for the last game, but Turner was also there for the first couple games. Right, right, right. 
yeah, I guess, yeah, there, it's kind of, it's relatively even in terms of what they lost before. Um, do we want to, do we want to eulogize the Dodgers? Um, I think we'll save that. Yeah, we'll do all the, we'll do a bunch of, we'll have like a eulogy episode for just the other 29 teams. All right. Yeah. Uh, okay. All 29 teams. Yeah. Let's do that. All right. We'll do like a minute each. Uh, Yeah. We can do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Braves, uh, Braves are moving on. They will be facing the Astros who on Friday, uh, the, yeah, the, the Astros won their game. The Red Sox did not score a run. Uh, do we want to just talk about the Luis Garcia thing now? Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of controversy just because Luis Garcia uh, left game two with an injury after the first inning. Um, and he came back throwing, averaging 96, 97 on his fastball, which is like three miles an hour above his average. Um, mm-hmm. Which when, And John Smoltz talked about like different footing on the mound. And, you know, uh, throwing with different intent, like, that could very much be a thing. It probably was very much – it definitely was very much a thing. Yeah, uh, very much a thing. I mean, it's weird to make comparisons, uh, you know, with, like, how velocities go. Mm -hmm. Um, I should have done more uh, research with, like, differences between different guys with uh, average – Average regular season velocity and average postseason velocity. Uh, I feel like Chris Sale would be an extreme example, um, mm-hmm. given that he, in the regular season, was still kind of climbing back and from Tommy John, and yeah. it crept into the postseason. Um, but I mean, uh, yeah, Chris Sale, Chris Sale this year, his four seam fastball in the regular season was ninety three point six, and if we go to Statcast search, um, yeah, so Chris Sale. He averaged 93.6 miles per hour in the regular season, uh, 95.2 in the postseason. That's a 1.6 mile per hour difference. So intent can play a factor here. Uh, Eovaldi's Eovaldi averaged 97.3 in the postseason. You know he was someone who you know he was healthy pretty much the whole year, which was actually kind of a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we go to his regular season, there's probably not. Uh, a major difference. Um, also, you know, I guess, I mean, if we want to dig super, super deep here, um, there's, uh, there's, you know, in with the, with, uh, Houston. Okay. So Eovaldi averaged 96.8 in the regular season, 97.3 in the playoffs. So that's a 0.5 mile per hour difference. Yep. And Eovaldi had uh, a couple starts at Fenway where it's, Outside, it's colder than it usually is during the year. Um, and Luis Garcia was in an indoor setting, so he wasn't affected by the weather at all. Um, so it wouldn't have been colder or hotter affecting things. Mm-hmm. So intent is a little different. Um, and, yeah, you referenced, yeah, Luis Garcia. He was throwing about three miles per hour uh, harder than usual. Um, I understand mechanical adjustments can uh, make a change in, in – uh, in velocity, like I've experienced that at the very low levels that I played, and how how uh, how I change, you know, how mechanics could could change my velocity at the low level I played at. But um, it's weird to see a mechanical change that can change your stuff by a couple miles per hour made in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, in the in the major leagues, 
it's interesting to see that for sure. It was crazy. Um, like, it was not. I mean, like, I don't even blame the Red Sox for not hitting. Like, that's probably not what they were ready for at all. You know, like, they were probably like, you know, they were probably in the in the batting cages before the game, like working on getting their weight on the ball, like trying to drive the opposite way on the slower pitches. Yeah. And Luis Garcia is coming out throwing ninety eight. Like, <laughs> you can't. You know, when you misprepare, like that's you know that's what's gonna happen. Right. And uh, and yeah, there's. You know, people online might think like, uh, "What's what's happening? Is there? Uh, are they using? Like, there's definitely no thing with. There's definitely nothing with uh, sticky substances. We know that sticky substances do not affect velocity at all. They affect spin rate. Um, the yeah, the velocity stays the same. The spin rate differs. So it's not a thing of sticky stuff. It's probably a mixture of intent and uh, and also uh, a little mechanical thing that can that can change that um so that's that's kind of that with Luis Garcia we're obviously not experts um but he had a phenomenal performance five and two-thirds innings pitched he allowed his first hit in the sixth inning and um and yeah it you know no runs allowed seven strikeouts one or two walks and I mean that just set the Astros up in a phenomenal spot they didn't have to score a crazy amount they only had to. They only really had to score one, so that was kind of the that was kind of the game changer for them in Game Six. That was a factor we didn't really consider when predicting these things. Absolutely, because we both agreed we we thought it, there would be a Game Seven. We just disagreed on what what would happen in that Game Seven. Uh, I just remember you saying that uh, you would like you thought there would likely be a Game Seven in the series, um, even after Game Five, but. Yeah, and any any more any more thoughts from game 6? Um I mean, the the hit and run was bad. Was really bad. What the strike him out throw yeah. him out double play? Yep. <laughs> like Travis Shaw missed a fastball down the middle. Verdugo didn't get a good lead. Like there was not even like there was not even it was not even close. Like there was never even a moment of like maybe they'll challenge it like he was out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for context, this was the bottom of the top of the 7th inning. Top of the 7th inning it was the best offensive opportunities the Red Sox had um probably in since game 4. <laughs> yep. Uh which is hilarious to think about. Um it was first and third. There was one out. It's the top of the 7th. Travis Shaw at the plate, Verdugo on first. I forget who was on third. Um it yeah, I forget who was on third. Does didn't really matter. Um there's two strikes. Travis Shaw swings through a fastball and Verdugo gets caught stealing. And that's the inning. And that's really all that's that that that's all the hope I had in that game as a Red Sox fan. It went all the down the drain after that. Um How did the how did Houston get their runs? They got their Houston got their run, got their first run in the first inning on what you could call an error, what you could call a double. It was a hard hit fly ball by Jordan Alvarez. Kike on the run had it in his glove, then out of his glove, uh, and it was um, it was one nothing. What else? It was it was one nothing, and then it was the 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 Schwarber triple play that almost happened. Uh yeah, oh my god. Yeah, Schwarber almost turned a triple play at first base, which led to another run. That was, I was so confused after that play, but I was like, you know what? 
I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I'll take a double play for a, for a run. Yeah, there was, it was first and third and nobody out. Yeah. And uh, I forget who hit. I think it was Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker had a scorcher. One hop to Schwarber. Um, he tags Correa. Correa. He tags the base and throws home. Throws home. But Alvarez was safe. Jordan was safe. And uh, two nothing Astros. Jordan killed the whole series. Yeah, we got to talk about Jordan. Yeah, oh my God. Like, <laughs> I think the last at bat he had, he hit a single, and I was like, okay. <laughs> All right, he's only on first. <laughs> that, that's what you want. Yeah, if we. If he we hit take, a liner right up the middle. If we take a look at Jordan here, everything and, was a hard hit ball. Uh, what, was his, what was his hard hit percentage during the series? It had to have been like 70%. Yeah, he just it was ridiculous. Slammed the ball, and everything was also a line drive or a fly ball. Yeah. Um. So throughout the series, he had he hit five twenty two with a fourteen oh eight OPS, uh, one home run, six RBI, a triple, three doubles, um, yeah, twelve for twenty three. He was uh he was pretty unreal. Uh. He was uh he was pretty crazy for sure. And in the last uh three games, or just in the last two games, he was seven for nine with five extra base hits, one strikeout, four RBI, twenty four forty four OPS. Um in those in those final two games. And I was looking up some two game span stuff, but I couldn't find anything interesting. It's uh, tough. Eye popping. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, he, uh, he definitely, he, he carried the offense in the last couple yeah. games. Um, let's see in the, that series. The Astros just kind oh, of followed his lead. Um, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Hang on. Let me just pull up, uh, the Savant search tool just so I can see this. Right, Jordan Alvarez had a 57.9% hard hit rate in that series. The only, uh, the, uh, Travis Darno and Eddie Rosario actually had more, but what what uh, was the number again? Sorry, fifty seven point nine percent hard yeah. hit rate. That's ridiculous. Eleven um, eleven out of nineteen batted balls were hard hit. <laughs> How yeah. many of them were barrels? I wonder. Uh yeah, that's that's pretty wild. Um, His barrel percentage was twenty six point three. Yeah. <laughs> the only person with a higher percentage was Chris Taylor, and he had less batted balls. Yeah, that can. Uh... <laughs> That can be a thing for that's, sure. That's nuts. Yeah, he was absolutely scorching the ball all over the place, and it wasn't just like to one side of the yard. Like he was going to left, he was going to center. Uh, I think he went to right the least, and he even hit a triple, and that wasn't even a hard hit ball. Uh, yeah, right. That's true. A, Jordan Alvarez hit a stand up triple <laughs> in the game. Which, to be fair, like I don't know what that defensive shift was. Renfro was playing like two hundred feet over to to the. The left. I can I can justify it given the direction. The direction beforehand, but I mean I don't know. It seemed very absurdly off. Yeah, he was way out there. And he hit he hit that he hit it to right on a pitch you're not supposed to hit it to right on. It was a slider away if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, yeah, it was pretty fascinating (laughs) for sure. Yeah, no, it was ridiculous. Um. Jordan, like, every single time he came up, like, you just got that feel like, yeah, it's going to happen. Like, he's going to crush the ball in some way. Joined Kike Hernandez, Hideki Matsui, and Billy Hatcher. Shout out to the 1990 Reds. As the only players to have five extra base hits and seven 
uh, hits in general uh, in a two-game postseason span. So shout out to Jordan Alvarez. That's all I could find for him. Um, yeah, uh, shout out, shout out to Jordan Alvarez. He was a very deserving. Yeah. ALCS MVP. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, very deserving. Who are who else were some heroes for Houston? I feel their bullpen, their bullpen was pretty nails throughout the postseason. Um, or throughout the uh, ALCS. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's hard to find bullpen ERA stats uh, automatically. Like, not, yeah, it is, but. Not using your own stuff. I mean, like, the Red Sox, I think they scored, like, 70-plus percent of their runs in the first, like, four innings of each of the games. Yeah, and that's all you really need to know about yeah. the Yeah, I mean, like, the, obviously the two grand slams are going to inflate that, but, like, that but that game didn't even really seem to be an outlier. Like, look at game three, look at game one. Yeah, exactly. That's how exactly. it was. Exactly. Um, if you just go guy by guy, I guess Yumi Garcia did not have himself his best performance, but... Uh, Kendall Graveman, four shutout innings. Christian Javier, five shutout innings. Uh, Phil Motton. It's uh, Matone, I think. Phil Matone, three and two-thirds, one earned run allowed. Maybe it's Motton. Uh, I've always I've always gotten that one wrong. Ryan Presley, three innings, one earned run allowed, and uh, one for one in save opportunities. Brooks Raley, three innings, one earned run allowed. Brooks Raley was awesome. Like, I was... I was kind of surprised he even made the roster. He was great that series. He was, yeah. yeah. Ryan Stanek, four and a third, one earned run allowed. And Blake Taylor, two and two thirds, shutout innings. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were they were pretty great, that bullpen. One thing that I'll be uh, – we'll talk about that later. It's, like, it's a World Series thing. But uh, Framber Valdez, too. Didn't talk about him. Uh, well, eight, we talked about him last episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Eight innings. Yeah. yeah. They How the Red Sox just got Frambered. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, so anything more before uh, our interview with Mark Simon? I think that's about it. So we are very happy to present um, probably the best flowing interview we've we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I feel like we we think very. Name aside, this is the best video we've ever done. Uh, yeah, yeah, the best. Like we're the most similar thinking with this guest. Yeah. Uh, yeah th- yeah, best guess in terms of how similar our uh, baseball brains work. So it was very fun to uh, converse with with this guy. Uh, so I'll leave the floor to our interview with Mark Simon. And we are joined by someone who you may know from his work with uh, ESPN uh, Stats and Info for uh, well over a decade, and uh, now where he's at, at Sports Info Solutions, and his book, The Fielding Bible, Mark Simon. How are you doing, Mark? I'm great. The Fielding Bible is actually the work of many. Uh, my name is on the cover, though, so I guess I will give you credit for uh, for nailing that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So um, we were we were introduced like... Like uh, like how many are introduced talking about you know a common subject with the 1925 World Series of course uh, <laughs> where uh, where uh, on episode 156 and a half we referenced it and uh, it was it was a hilarious Twitter exchange for sure and uh, I'm 
I'm glad we have uh, someone who has the same passion for that one game <laughs> as we do. <laughs> Indeed. So I, I think what's really cool is that that's, that's like the second World Series in a trilogy of three really incredible World Series that if they were held now, you would be talking about forever. 1924, the World Series ends on what some people say was a ball hit a pebble that bounced over a teenage third baseman's head. Um, so that would have lent itself to a lot of controversy. 1925, they played in a monsoon. Uh, and uh, it just, there's all sorts of craziness with that. And then 1926, Babe Ruth gets caught stealing to end the World Series after Grover Cleveland Alexander comes out of the bullpen, maybe hungover, maybe not, strikes out Tony Lazari, who was this great hitter with the bases loaded and two outs, tying run on third base in the seventh inning. All these, these things where you're like, when you see things now, you're like, oh, that could have never happened before. But all that stuff happened in like 1924, 25, 26. If you go back and look at the history of the World Series, there's there's some really incredible stuff there. What was the one game, Chris, in I think it was 1929 with the Cubs and A's? Oh, yeah, the, like, the Cubs blew a 8-0 uh, lead in the seventh inning. Yep. I, I forget which, which one it was. And the other thing about that World Series is that the guy that started the first game of it was named Howard Emke, and he was at the very end of his career, and he had no business being the starting pitcher in this game. He had pitched in like 11 games during the regular season, but he had apparently, and I don't know that I have all the details on this, been sent out on like some secret scouting mission to scout the Cubs, and uh, and he knew like how he could beat them, and he hadn't pitched in like weeks and they're like, oh, start game one of the World Series. No, no problem. And he goes out and beats them. Anyway, his, baseball dorkiness his, abounds here. Yeah, he had his Joe Ross moment in that game. Yeah. <laughs> last, last thing I'll say on that is I, I remember we did a Lefty Grove episode as well. So Lefty Grove, like, normally would be the game one starter, but apparently they didn't like the, the lefty-righty matchups because the Cubs were right-handed heavy. So I don't know. I guess it worked. The A's did win the World Series, so... <laughs> I, out. I do have one other thing going back to your talk about 25 uh, in previous episodes that you've done. So you, we were just talking off air a second ago about Roger Peckinpah uh, winning the MVP in 1925. Now think about what that would have been like for him. You know how they give out the AL and NL MVPs now on MLB Network. They have a whole show devoted to it. Now, can you imagine like a week after the World Series, a World Series that he blew having Brian Kenny trash his, as you described it, his 90-something OPS plus, and then they have to give him the MVP for the season. That would have been a great digging in segment on MLB Now. <laughs> that would have been like 15 minutes long. It would, it would have been tremendous. Um, and it's just, now all credit, Roger Peckinpah was apparently very important to those Washington Senators teams, but... Uh, but it just, it struck me how bizarre it would have been to have had this guy who was the GOAT of the 1925 World Series like a week or two later going on national TV, hoisting a trophy for which the statistics indicate maybe he wasn't fully deserving of. Uh, it just, it would have been an interesting experience, but that's neither here nor there. Hello. <laughs> it, it is a, it is a funny, yeah, it's a funny image to have in, uh, in your head for sure. Just, just his, his like uh, headshot and like the, the OPS plus compared to whoever actually was deserving. Yeah. But 
you know, Roger Peck and Paw. I know, I know with postseason, they, they don't factor in like, uh, they don't have defensive runs saved in postseason, but Roger Peck and Paw's defensive runs saved in the 1925 World Series would probably be a negative, even though he was, uh, he was regularly a great, uh, he, he was relatively a great defensive shortstop. However, that changed. And uh, we bring up the defensive run save because uh, you are an expert in the, uh, in the uh, particular statistic. And it's great to have you on because in, in the three phases of baseball, we, we know Daniel and I, and most of the baseball world knows least how to identify the defensive side of things. So where, where did you kind of get started on the defensive uh, evaluation? So um, when I was at ESPN, uh, we had an arrangement with this company, uh, Sports Info Solutions. They came and they did a presentation, and it was a pretty persuasive presentation as to why their information was uh, useful uh, and helpful for television purposes. It would allow us to do some things with defense uh, that we hadn't necessarily been doing before. Um, so that was my introduction to it, and then it was just a matter of reading, and you read what UZR is pretty complicated, but uh, defensive run saved, you can pretty much boil it down to like, okay, for each position on the field, there are four or five traits that I'm looking for quality in that fielder. So I'm just going to measure those four or five traits for every fielder using the same set of rules and using um, essentially a system by which uh, we can evaluate batted balls such as ground ball hit in the shortstop third base hole, deep in the shortstop third base hole. That's a lot different than the ground ball that's hit right at the shortstop. One is probably an 80% out. The other is more of a 40 or a 50% out. So it's like a 50-50 play. Um, and they came up with a system by which you could separate those and you could establish who were the guys that were good at going after the balls that were deep in the hole who were the guys that were good at fielding the ball up the middle. So that's kind of the foundation of the stat. And then there are ancillary things, like you would want your second baseman to be good at turning double plays. So they calculate for every um, double play opportunity situation. If a ball is hit to either the you know, first, short, or third, and they go for two, uh, that's uh, a double play opportunity. And you would say, okay, this second baseman has converted 75% of his double play opportunities. And this second baseman has only converted 55% of his double play opportunities. Chances are the guy that's converting 75% is doing something more right than the guy that's converting 55%. So those are two examples. But for catchers, it would be things like throwing arm or framing pitches or blocking pitches. Outfield, it would be a throwing arm. It would be things like robbing a home run, cutting a ball off in the gap. If you save a base, saving a base has value. We can put a number on that and we can establish who the guys are that are good at preventing base runners from taking an extra base, like going first to third or second to home, like an Adam Duval uh, in the World Series, for example. Uh, and who are the guys that are poor at it? And um, it allows you to look at defense in a different way rather than just looking at, as most people look at, errors in fielding percentage. Yeah, I mean, that's like, it is very, 
I think just your rundown of that was very more geared towards just batted ball like specifics than I thought. Like I think that's kind of what people see Statcast as, but it turns out, as you mentioned, defensive run save does that as well. That is really valuable when you consider just opportunity and more exact stuff instead of just you know the numbers on a computer screen. It is very exact to what the situation was for the fielder. And just to explain how we do things, so we we do a combination of tracking that involves like computerized automated data, but we also do a ton of things that are visualized uh, where we have people that are sitting and watching games and they're uh, noting catcher position of glove. Uh, They're noting, did the fielder go left, right, back, forward? Uh, Which direction did he go? We have a system that we call good fielding plays and defensive misplays. If you guys like keeping score at games, this is like keeping score on like steroids big time. Uh, We have 30 categories of good things that a fielder can do. And then we have about 60 categories of things that a fielder can mess up. So you know how like you're watching a game and there's a ground ball of short uh, with a man on first base and one out and the shortstop bobbles the ball and then gets the force at second. Well, they can't give an error because, as the announcer always says, you can't assume a double play. We assume the double play, and we penalize the fielder for costing his team the chance at getting the double play. Um, So we tally those things up uh, over the course of a season. I'll give you just one example of something from the season that was kind of neat to find out. So Adam Wainwright pitched to a three ERA for the Cardinals this year as like a 40-year-old. He's throwing sub-90 miles per hour, still throws the great curveball, uh, still uh, impressive in a couple of aspects, except that when you kind of like watch, you're not overly blown away by him. And it turned out that Adam Wainwright had more good fielding plays behind him than any other pitcher in baseball this season. And like, if you compare his ERA and his FIP, his ERA was like three, his FIP was like three, six, six. Well, the reason why was because there's an assumption that some of these batted balls were going to fall that Harrison Bader was taking away, uh, that some of the other Cardinal defenders that are particularly good, Paul Goldschmidt, uh, were taking away potential hits, and he was racking those up. So if Adam Wainwright had been on any other team, he might have pitched to a three, six, he might have pitched to a four, uh, but because he was on what I would view as the best defensive team in baseball, uh, he pitched to a three ERA, and I, I just thought that that was a cool kind of thing that the additional tracking allows us to figure out. Yeah, that's very cool. And that's, that actually is, um, it's interesting to look at Adam Wainwright's season now, because um, when you look at his wins above replacement, I believe it, it doesn't look exactly like a season, and especially even in like a baseball reference board where they uh, value ERA plus rather than fifth. Um, it's interesting to see that it's still pretty low, even though he had the innings, even though he had the ERA plus, because they they kind of dock it. They kind of dock uh, some points down on wins above replacement if your defense is that good behind you. So yep. it does make a lot more sense given that he had the most great plays behind him. I mean, just going off of that, out of the 39 qualifiers this year, Adam Wainwright's 256 Babbitt against was third lowest yep. behind just Walker Bueller and Max Serger. And it was because they made great plays behind them. It yep. wasn't necessarily like luck. It was, yeah. it was definitively that they made great plays. It is, you're, the war comment is interesting because I remember earlier this 
month, um, I was looking at like Casey Mize and Casey Mize is a guy that's on the other side of things that he was pitching with a really bad defense behind him. Um, but uh, Casey Mize had a higher war than expected because he was able to keep his numbers decent, uh, even with a bad defense behind him. Uh, so I, I do think that it's, it's interesting to, to go through these things. Yeah. And if you look at, but if you look at the fan graphs aspect, like his fifth was near, near five. So I think that's where baseball reference and fan graphs kind of flip. Um, but going back to uh, defensive run safe, I understand it was uh, something that was developed in the early 2000s, like, uh, yeah, 2003. So like, uh, so just to be clear, this was kind of a thing that Sports Info Solutions uh, was developing as a team. Yeah, so the, the owner of the company is John Duan, the chairman of the board of the company is John Duan now. Um, and he and Steve Moyer uh, had this idea that they were going to go much more granular on statistical evaluation. They, um, they had previously worked together at John's company, which we now know as Stats Perform, but uh, Stats Inc., which for a long time was certainly very prominent in the baseball space and still is. And uh, they decided to make the foundation of the company defensive analysis. And uh, they devised the system with the help of one Bill James. Uh, and uh, it has it has gone through some different iterations because defensive shifting completely changed how we uh, look at things. In the early days of the stat, we didn't know player positioning. Uh, now we have a much better idea of where players are positioned. So uh, you'll see some weird things like Darwin Barney had this incredible season. Craig Council had an incredible season, which if I was going to guess now, was probably largely due to where they were positioned, maybe more than than skill. Uh, and I even think Craig Council might admit that. Um, so I I just uh, yeah that's that's what we are, uh, and that's uh, that goes back to 2003. The the people that do the iterating of that sort of thing, they're a little sharper than I am on that stuff. Uh, my my role is largely in the communication of it. Uh, you mentioned earlier that, you know, uh, you were talking about Brian Kenny and how much he would have broke down about uh, about the MVP in 1925. Uh, you've been on MLB now before. Uh, do you have any Brian Kenny stories? Uh, <laughs> so when I first started at ESPN, um, I started in March of 2002. That was a time when Baseball Tonight was still on seven days a week. Uh, that was that was a different time as far as baseball coverage at ESPN. My job back then was to um, send out a lot of Xeroxes to the broadcast crews that were doing games uh, and also to assist. Um, if you watch, this is true with MLB Network, it's true with Fox, like when they do uh, in the middle of an inning, when they cut in and they're like, all right, we're going to show a highlight from, you know, Reds Dodgers uh, in the middle of the inning. Your job is to be like an information assistant to the person that's doing that highlight. Like you fill them in if there's anything that they need to know. My first day of doing that, I had no idea what I was supposed to do. And I walked down to the studio where I was supposed to sit and Brian Kenny shows up five minutes before he's supposed to go on the air. He comes up to me and he says, where's all my stuff? And I was like, huh? And he's like, you're supposed to have all these things for me. This, 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 and this. 
I had none of it. It was grouchy. It was really, it was really grouchy. And I was like, I'll do the best I can. I'll, I'll get you what I can. So he, he's like, I'm working with new people. What's going on? He goes, takes a seat. Um, things happen. Uh, and he's kind of grumpy. And I'm like trying to be helpful, but it's not really registering. And then I believe it was, um, it was the first game of the season. It was the first game to start uh, of the, the, like the Monday schedule on opening day. And a guy hit a home run for the first batter of the game. I think it was Shannon Stewart. And I said, to, I walked up to Brian Kenny and I said, Brian, if you're going to show this highlight, you need to talk about 1986 and Dwight Evans against Jack Morris on opening day, first batter of the game, home run. And he was like, oh, okay. And from there on, he and I were pretty good because I showed him right then that I knew my stuff. I believe uh, Steve Sachs did the same thing in 1988. Oh, very nice. That's what I actually didn't know. I mean, the the Dodgers were home, so it wasn't exactly the first pitch of the game. It was bottom of the first, but first pitch of the season, home run. Dodgers had a pretty good year that year. Nice. Well, yes, they did. Absolutely. um, So Brian Kenny, since that day, Brian Kenny has completely forgotten about that day. I'll never forget it. And anytime I talk to Brian Kenny, he's he's generally very positive about me, which is very nice. But I have this one memory with him where I was just like, oh, man, uh, that that was really something um, I have. So just to say, I have been on MLB Network. It's not a lot. I think I've been on three times, mm-hmm. um, including twice with uh, John Smoltz, uh, which I find very uh, yeah. entertaining um, because uh, he's very strongly opinionated. Uh, but also I have a lot of, you know, younger person memories of John Smoltz uh, being a dominant pitcher uh, that it's kind of cool to be able to briefly chat with him about. Yeah, no, that is good. I mean, it's a Hall of Famer. Yep, exactly. Guy he's been around and, you know, you're right. You're right. He is opinionated. Uh, most of it might not be parallel with what you see, <laughs> to put it nicely, but I mean, it is cool to have the two different perspectives. He, he and I, uh, in the two shows that I did, I don't think we had a disagreement on anything okay. like that was brought up from a statistical perspective. He may not have fully embraced like um, the, the information, but, but that's fine. Like there, he, can, he can do, I think there are certain things that he's going to be more all in on, pitch metrics, certainly. Uh, and then you're going to have someone like Aaron Boone, who the first words he said in a Baseball Tonight meeting were, what's the sample size on that? And I was like, oh, all right, this guy's a little different. Yeah. Uh, and from there on with him, like I showed him articles from, uh, you know, from Sports Info Solutions. He read them. He told me what he thought, um, you know, to each their own, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, <clears throat> we're, we're talking fielding here. We're talking 1925 World Series, but <laughs> it's uh it's hard not to realize the situation that we're in as we're about to uh, reach the World Series. Um, what do you think there, what, what narratives do you think are not being talked about enough as we head into this uh, next World Series? That is a really, really good question. Um, I think that, I think that all along Houston was better than, than we thought. Um, they won 95 in the regular season and maybe because we're located on the East Coast, it feels that you get inundated with the American League uh, East being as good as it was. 
uh, but the Astros are very good. Defensively, uh, they rank number three in defensive runs saved. And it's maybe not even necessarily like it's Correa, but it's also like Chaz McCormick and it's Kyle Tucker. Uh, it's guys that you maybe wouldn't think of. And Yuli Gurriel is actually one of the better first basemen by defensive runs saved over the last three years. Um, so I'm, I'm always going to lean to say, hey, they don't talk enough about the defensive uh, aspect of things. Uh, with Atlanta, the Braves were eighth in defensive runs saved. Austin Riley, uh, by our measures, specifically our measures, had a very uh, strong year in that stat. Much, much, much improved. Um, like everyone's talking about yeah. the Braves outfield, right? And rightfully, rightfully so. Um, Dansby Swanson um, made a very nice play to end the, the LCS. He didn't have a particularly good defensive year by our measures, but if you go over time, he's pretty good. Uh, Freddie Freeman's the best throw scooper probably in baseball. Um, Darno blocks pitches really well. Max Fried's an outstanding athlete. Uh, there's a lot of good defensive stuff. I, I'm biased here because I'm actually I'm trying to write something uh, summarizing all the good defensive uh, stuff from this series. So I'm biased towards that. That's where I would go first. One of the craziest things I noticed when you talked to me about Austin Riley was he had negative 10 defensive runs saved at, at third base last year in the shortened season. And then he got up to 13 this year. Yeah, you, and you want an explanation on that, I presume. I would love, I would love, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, Chris and I, Chris and I were just baffled by Rafael Devers, especially, because if you look at his UZR and outs above average, in 2019, very favorable. I think it's, like, year-by-year year percentile rankings and outs above average. It was, like, 6th percentile, 5th percentile, 99th percentile, 4th percentile, 0th percentile, or something like that. Uh, defensive run save was not a fan. Uh, so, like, what, like, what kind of, like did like what kind of different play styles did he have in 2019 and what different kind of play styles did Austin Riley have this year? Like uh, causes those kinds of discrepancies. Yeah. Okay. So let's attack Austin Riley and his improvement from uh, 20 to 21. Um, I think a couple of things happened. One is that I think he got better at the ball hit down the line. I had done a piece earlier this season where I actually summarized that, and it was a noticeable difference. It was like 50 something percent conversion on outs down the line versus something closer to 70%. The sample sizes are small, but if you're making 10 or 15 extra plays, that's outs and that's not hits. Like it's, it's, a, it's essentially a double reward because you're keeping a guy off a base and you're recording an out. Uh, so I think it was the balls hit down the line. I think the Braves' use of defensive shifting that he did particularly well in those. Um, and our numbers are very, very, very good. Um, but one thing that sometimes happens in defensive shifting, I think sometimes because of the sample size potentially, is that you might see guys get a little bit more of a reward. Um, I don't know necessarily that that's it with Austin Riley. I think he just was a much improved defensive player. They felt a year ago when he was bad, like there are quotes that are like, oh, this guy's really good. He's going to be really good. He has great aptitude for the position. So we just need to stick him at third and kind of leave him there. Um, the Devers thing, I don't have an explanation for. Yeah. Our, our company's never been particularly uh, high on his defensive performance based on our stats. Um, 
that season is a significant outlier for him. We have issues with the Red Sox infield defense in general year to year. Absolutely, we do. Where they don't they don't have a high out conversion rate. Like if you just measured their defensive efficiency and took out difficulty of, of batted ball, essentially just measured their BABIP against on ground balls uh, and bunts, they're the worst or they're they're in general low. Bogarts yeah, isn't sure. very good. Devers isn't very good either. I don't know that I can pinpoint why in another company's setup that 2019 Devers is like great. Um, we feel, I think we would say we trust the track record that our metrics have established for him that show that he's just, he's, he's gotten better. He's absolutely gotten better. He makes more good plays than he used to, but uh, that doesn't necessarily make him good. Yeah, I mean, going back to the Red Sox infield thing, like just ask Chris anything about Eduardo Rodriguez's season this year, and, yeah. and you'll get a 20-minute uh, rant on everything. Yeah. On how the infield probably didn't help him out. Three, 316 average against on ground balls. It's not yep. supposed to happen. There you go. Uh, exactly, 100%. Like the, if, if, people, if a guy just had an entire season facing Eduardo Rodriguez and hitting ground balls, he could have won the batting title. <laughs> 3.32 FIP. Like, he was way yeah. better than what his ERA showed. I hope, like, he's going into free agency. Um, I really hope teams that are considering understand that. Yeah. If he, if, he had, if he had that, if he had that season with, like, the Padres, we're talking about a whole different season probably. Yep. I, I think that, that, that that's very fair. And I, I'm sure his agent will be all over his FIP. Yes. Very I, would, I would hate to see like a guy lose money in free agency because he had a five, whatever ERA when he really should have had significantly less. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, this was a very educational experience for uh, the both of us. And uh, we were very happy to have you on. Um, <laughs> learned a lot. And, uh, and uh, we, uh, yeah, we hey. hope- Oh, yeah. keep talking. We got we got one more question, Chris. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, one more question. Yeah, one more question so, for all our guests. Yeah, so we get we ask all of our guests the same last question, and sure. it is, you know, we we know that you're with Defensive Run Save Sports Info Solutions, but uh, Statcast is obviously something that's revolutionized baseball statistics since 2015. Uh, even if you're not citing it, like it's just fun to go down rabbit holes and find interesting things on Statcast. So. If you could take any player from baseball history and obtain their stat cast data, all of it, who would you choose? Oh, uh, guys, you should have told me this one was coming. <laughs> well, with this, the idea with this question is that it's off the top of the head. Who you play? Like, oh, uh, stat cast data. For... Like you get every chart, you get every graph, you can get like the little circles, you can click on them, you see the batted balls against, you get everything. Yeah. Uh, One player from pre-2015. So okay, so uh, because I wanted I want to do something that is um, hooked to my childhood fan interests. Uh, I would probably go with something a number of things related to Keith Hernandez, um, who was like this incredible player when I was you know 10, 11, 12 years old. Uh, rooting for the 1986 Mets. So I would want to know like Keith Hernandez's OAA. Um, and I would want to know, um, I would want to know, they have on StatCast, like they have run values based yep. on like um, heart types. of the plate. Yeah, like heart of the plate, chase, 
way out of the strike zone, those things. I would want to know what his numbers lined up like uh, for those things, because to my childhood eye, 30 years later, that's the best eye. Like he was he was the master uh, in in my childhood day of uh, only going after the good pitches and um, taking his walks and the defense was off the charts. And I'm a Keith Hernandez for the Hall of Fame person. So that's uh, that's one where I would uh, I think it would be cool to have some information. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a really fun question because there's so many ways you can go like the like the. We thought everyone was just going to say, like, Nolan Ryan, Babe Ruth, like, Bob Feller. And we've gotten some interesting answers. The last person, we had Chris Rose on. He picked Dave Winfield. Oh, yeah. Exit and, Velo? Uh, what's that? Exit Velo? Exit Velo, sprint speed. I mean, you name I it. I think, uh, yeah, I think he also mentioned, like, his arm, arm strength. Arm strength, yeah. By the way, can I, can I, I'll take the extra minute here. Can I advocate for 90-foot speed over sprint speed? Um, I, I feel like I'm the lone wolf on this. Uh, I am a big advocate of the 90 foot over the sprint uh, yeah. because I think the sprint doesn't necessarily tell you the full. But the the, full the 90 foot intervals. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. sorry to to just throw you off track there. That's just that's if I was if I was going to articulate a statistical um, desire, it would be for more people to gravitate towards the 90 foot uh, and away from the sprint. Anyway, yeah, true. that's, I mean, yeah, that's where the competitive runs are. Yeah. And it can, uh, it can, it can show you, like, I, I imagine like uh, if someone's running out of double, it can show you the efficiency of how they're running the base mm-hmm. um, rather than yeah. Sprint speed where it's just kind of where you're at your fastest. Um, all right. Well, uh, once again, I thought I forgot about the last question. Can't forget about the last you question. Know, we, it, we haven't, we haven't done enough where it's, it's still in my head, but uh very happy to uh very happy to have you on and we'll probably be talking to you uh continue continue talking to you in the future so ladies and gentlemen mark simon (laughs) so that was mark simon uh as you heard before you know very interesting conversation i hope i hope the listener is a little more educated on uh defensive run saved and how that works because that was yeah. super inform- informative and uh also i mean who doesn't love a good conversation about the 1925 world series and just 20s world series in, in general yep one thing that, d- that didn't even get mentioned was i believe the 1927 world series ended on a wild pitch walk off wild pitch yeah um yeah like those are some bangers <laughs> Those are some absolute. Yeah, if if you're talking about moments you wish that Twitter was around for, I mean, any 1920s World Series, any any one of them, yeah, yeah, no doubt about yeah, it. They, they were hiding the good stuff back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like they don't they don't make World Series the same way they used to. No. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, in all seriousness, I will never get over uh, Roger Peckinpah. Winning the 1925 American League uh, MVP, he had a 2.7 F4. Guess what? Harry Hellman from the T- Detroit Tigers, he had a 7 F4. Yeah. He hit 393, which was 99 points higher than Peckinpah's 294. He also had a 1026 OPS, which was almost 300 points higher than Peckinpah's 746. Absolutely disgraceful showing from the writers. Even Al Simmons deserved it that year, too. He yeah. had 6.6 on the Philadelphia A's. 
Yeah. yeah, just a just a disgraceful showing there from the writers. Yeah, the 1920s writers treated the the MVP league, as who who led their team to the World Series. Yeah, league M, they treated the league MVP like we look at ALCS and World Series MVP. It's like who is the best player on the team that won. Except for uh, Rogers Hornsby winning it that year with a 10.3 wins above replacement. That was one of the years where he, of course, led the National League in the quad slash. One of yeah. the six in a row. One of the six in a row. By the way, very remarkable top three in the NL MVP voting in 1925. You had Rogers Hornsby, Kiki Kyler, and High Pockets Kelly. Nice. Nice. It doesn't get much better than that. Just a nit. Just... A number and uh, number eight, you had Pie Trainer. Number nine, you had Frankie Frisch. <laughs> you had some names, <laughs> like good players and also just names. Yeah, I was. I went back and listened to uh, our Walter Johnson one because, mm-hmm. and I forget how much Frankie Frisch came up. <laughs> I was. I had a. I found a really good uh, note on Mickey Cochran earlier. That's great. Let me find it. It was. I forget what year it was. Yeah, um, so yeah. We, we okay, de- yeah. In in Mickey Cochran's nineteen thirty two season, uh, he had zero stolen bases and five WAR runs base running. <laughs> yeah, that is the most uh, WAR runs base running anyone has ever had in a season with zero stolen bases. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Like I said, if we make a compilation of times we've talked about him on other shows, we have done a Mickey Cochran episode. Shout out to the intro. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we hope you enjoyed this. What this uh, this inter that interview with uh, Mark Simon. Yeah. We're gonna get into a, a preview of the Fall Classic, yeah. the World Series, the, the World one series, the one to end them all. It's it's uh, Astros Braves. Um, it's gonna start in Houston with Charlie Morton facing Framber. Framber Valdez. Um, kind of weird to see also the Astros in a World Series without uh, Justin Verlander. It's so This entire rotation is just so weird. Yeah, but they're good. <laughs> they are good. Like uh, One thing I looked up for Game 1, the Braves uh, as a team this year had a 13 average launch angle against left-handed pitching this year. That was one of the higher ones in baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say that because we all know Framber Valdez. He's a left-hander. And what does he do, Chris? Gets ground balls. He gets ground balls. Uh, <laughs> if you don't answer, I'm gonna point at Chris again. <laughs> yeah. Moneyball memes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, it, we've we previewed, you know, the uh, the Washington Baker uh, battle that's going on. Um, I think with, I guess the themes of, I guess the theme of the Astros this year was. They were kind of always on top. Uh, it was never – they were never quite streaky. They were always kind of just a stable team in the American League West, and you never really had to worry about them. Yeah. The Braves, meanwhile, we talked about. They were 52-55 and 55, uh, as, after August 1st. Um, they have jumped to going 36-19 and 19 after that, and uh, – you know, went by the Brewers, who they were underdogs against. Went by the Dodgers, who were who they were even bigger underdogs against. Uh, and here they are. So it's kind of two different, two pretty different identities. But you know, they're in the same place. They are. Um, there's a lot of, 
you know, there's a lot that you need to look at as far as more recent play. You know, when we talked about the Nationals and Astros, the Nationals were the biggest underdog in the World Series since 2007. And when you look at the way that they played from a certain date on, they were one of the better teams in the league. And that's how you got to look at Atlanta here, because this is not the April through July Atlanta Braves. They are missing their best player from then, but this is a different team. They perform differently. They go out and win games. They start. They have good starting pitching. They've had a very stable bullpen. And there's a lot of reason to believe that even though they might be seen as an underdog, as just the 88-win team, that they can absolutely hang in this series. I mean, if they beat the Dodgers, they can beat anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. Like, Dodge, I, I was saying that the winner of the of that Dodgers Giants NLDS was going to win the World Series, and the the team that won immediately lost to the Braves. So, yeah. uh, I mean, it says something about the Braves that they it were does. able to do that. Um, yeah, definitely. You can't look at the eighty eight wins in the regular season because that's just not them. Uh, that's that's not their full identity, and they've proven that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, both teams have the exact same playoff record. They both lost one in the DS and two in the CS. So. Very true. Um, similar there. Um, what else? What are, what are some other? Mark Simon had some good fielding analysis. Yeah, he did. <laughs> of course. Um, also, grass is uh, probably green. Yes, grass. <laughs> yeah. The uh, I can never be so sure. Yeah, the sky is usually blue or gray, or yeah. uh, or you know dark when it's night. Um, shout out to being colorblind. <laughs> Yeah, shout out, to, shout out to that. But you did bring up uh, grass, so I said that's why I said it's probably green. It's probably green. I think I think it's green. That's what they say. Yeah, yeah. that's what they. That's what I've been told all these years. <laughs> <laughs> I could have been. The world could have been on this huge joke to lie to me. Right. Yeah, it was all a prank. Yeah, it's actually purple. <laughs> um, but uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, with with Braves Astros, uh, you know. Astros have a have a phenomenal offense that has worked for them the entire year. Yep. Braves have undergone changes with their offense, but they've been effective, um, especially in the CS, not as much in the DS. Um, I think the Astros, the Astros have won kind of the same way each time in the DS and the CS. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do do we want to just like kind of break down like where each team has their advantage? Yeah, let's do that. Like position by position, um, or just like starting pitching, bullpen, offense, okay, uh, defense a little bit too. I guess Mark Simon already kind of did that. Yeah, <laughs> um, but starting pitching, starting pitching, I-, I would probably go Atlanta. Yeah, just because like I think I can see that I can see more longevity out of their starters. Absolutely. You know, like if you ask me who's going to go more innings between Charlie Morton and Framber Valdez, depending on how the Braves approach their at bats. I'd probably say Charlie Morton, but if they're, you know, if the the Braves, the key to the game for the Braves is work the at bats. Like if you like, if you see a, if you see the first pitch to hit, maybe don't swing at it because chances are you're just gonna hit a ground ball. Yeah. Like Framber Valdez, when he's at his weakest points, he's walking people. Like work for like work for walks early, and just avoid ground balls at all costs because they are incredibly likely against Valdez. Right. Right. So depending on how how they now what their game plan is like uh, going into that game, I think Charlie Morton lasts longer, and I think the Braves bullpen, like they're just built to get things done, like they have this series. Um, and then going to game two, it'll be Luis Garcia versus Max Freed. 
Um, depending on how Garcia is throwing, you know, I think that's that's a game where it could be a push. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And then game three, Jose Urquidy versus Ian Anderson. Um, yep. Given a, Urquidy oh, yeah. hasn't pitched in a while. So McCullers is not. Oh, yeah. Do we know about McCullers? Do we know anything? Because we know they, he was They just... said he was out for the CS, but I don't know if they said anything. Yeah. Because um, I don't probably... think game two has the uh has been announced yet okay oh well bob nightingale just tweeted 33 minutes ago lance mccullers says he'll be ready to pitch in spring training but wasn't close to being able to pitch in the world series for the astros so no he will not be back uh yeah another tough break for the astros literally just announced yeah no he will not be that back so that is that is going to hinder them just like it i mean it did you know you saw with the astros starting pitching early in the series how it hindered them in the ALCS, and we're going to have to be experiencing that in the World Series as well. Right. Uh, yeah, very true. Um, so, yeah, the the Braves seem to have an advantage starting pitching-wise. Um, bullpen is interesting because I would say I would not be confident in either of them heading into the playoffs, but they have both they have both shined Yeah. Uh, more than I would have expected them to. Um. And I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a push of which who has the better bullpen. Yeah, absolutely. What? Um, the only thing is that the Astros, they had tw- they scored twenty seven runs in the ALCS with two outs. Yeah, that is the most any team has ever scored in a postseason series. Like that's something you're gonna have to factor in. That's gonna be a great storyline. Is Braves bullpen like just generally being shut down, getting the outs when they need them. Astros getting the runs when they need them with two outs. Right. Like, those are going to be some really interesting scenarios that come up over the next few games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's an interesting thing. Uh, offense, I, you have to go Astros, yeah, I think. You yeah, you do. Um, you know, Braves Braves uh, have had their moments of shine, but the Astros have just always – they've the Astros offense just, I feel like, has never, like, been not good this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Braves, I guess you c- couldn't say that. <laughs> Uh, although they were, you know, very good in the in the CS, and then I guess you know Dusty Baker versus Brian Snicker, um, both both guys who um, probably you know did weren't aren't gonna win Manager of the Year. Although will probably be probably be, I feel like Baker will be a finalist. Baker will definitely be a finalist. Um, Snicker might be as well, but he's but Snicker has a much higher mountain to climb as far as winning that award. Uh, true. He's yes. got to climb Everest. True. <laughs> um, so, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about uh, like manager versus manager. I feel like that's kind of even too. Yeah, I would say so. Um, so, I don't know. Do we want to? Do we want to get into a prediction yet? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I'm thinking the the thought in my head of how it goes down is uh, is uh, I think it ends. At Minute Maid Park, in six games, with the Astros on top. Okay. All right. So you got Astros. Here's the thing, Chris. We suck at predicting. Yeah. We both we both got both of the uh, LCSs wrong. You got two of the LDSs right. I got one of the LDSs right. I got one of the wild cards wrong. Yeah. <laughs> someone's got to be right in the World Series. <laughs> Someone has to be. How someone's got to do it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, someone's got to do it. So I got the Braves winning the series. I also have it ending in Minute Maid Park. I think we get a very 
parallel to 2019 where the Braves win in Minute Maid Park in Game 7. I don't have every road team winning every game. That's kind yeah, of absurd. No. <laughs> but um, I don't know. Like this is this has just seemed like it for Atlanta. Like they just took down a team that is much better and more talented than this one. Um, they you know the offense obviously needs to be on. The bullpen's gonna need to step up more than they ever have. But I think they're all very capable of doing it. Yeah, you do bring up a good point in that it is difficult to pick against the Braves after defeating the Dodgers. Yes. Um, it it is difficult to do that. Um. And they beat the Brewers too. The Brewers, yeah, had the third best record in the National League. Like they've beaten two teams that during the regular season were better than them. Uh, yeah, very true. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's I th- I think also what we should reflect upon. These have been very good playoffs. the The reason we're predi- we've been predicting so bad is because, is because a, lot a lot of unpredictable, unpredictable stuff has happened. Yeah, a lot of unpredictable stuff has happened. Um. In the uh, in the LDSs, only one of the higher seeded teams won yeah. uh, their series, and uh, and yeah, um, like yeah, like the Red Sox beating the Rays that was unexpected. Um, the Braves beating the Brewers was generally unexpected. Then beating the then beating the uh, Dodgers was uh, even way more unexpected. Yeah, um, and then the Astros like recovering uh, without. Uh, Max, uh, without uh, Lance McCullers. I don't know why mm-hmm. I said Max there. Um, without Lance McCullers. They got the Max performance without Lance McCullers. That is yeah. true. <laughs> that is true. Um, them uh, being able to perform without Lance McCullers, that was surprising to us as we both picked uh, Red Sox uh, in, in that in that LCS. Uh-huh. So, you know, it doesn't really matter what we predict because, I mean, now it'll probably just end in four. Yeah. For either one, that'll um, be undeserving. Luckily, we haven't had any sweeps either. Yeah, no every sweeps. every team has won a game. Yes, in so, every round. So c- congratulations to all the teams. Hope everyone just had fun. Yeah, you you got you got to enjoy at least one night. Yeah, I hope the I hope the Yankees had fun. Yeah, in in their six six to two loss. <laughs> um, so, the Yankees definitely had the least amount of fun. Like the Cardinals, at least probably thought they were going to win at some point. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. I think uh I don't know, did John Carlos Stanton have fun? Yeah, he probably did. He probably did. Until was, until that throw. Yeah. He was like, Oh, I just slammed this he had, one. He had a, yeah. We're gonna get a we're <laughs> we're gonna advance this runner. Oh wait, he's out. Even in the first. Oh, I just slammed this one. <laughs> I'm gonna stop it first. <laughs> did I did I miss something? <laughs> <laughs> what what did I see wrong? He's standing at first base. He is standing at first base. <laughs> oh my god! Too good. Too good. Um, As they say. All right, so I have Astros in six. Daniel have, has Braves in seven. I do. Actually, uh, uh, it's funny when uh, when it was Astros Nationals, I had Astros in six. You had Nationals in seven. Huh. So this interesting. Could be, uh, interesting. Interesting. Some things never change from the start <laughs> of the show to now. Yeah. Yeah. Pro- like yeah, we're probably uh, 150 episodes later <laughs> after mm-hmm. that. Yep. Um. All right. So we hope you enjoyed this one. If you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Current, and follow the show Instagram uh, at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. And we hope to see you uh, on Thursday, where we're recapping the first two games of the Braves Astros. World Series. We will see you then.
This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.